411 Live. Where you can learn about issues that affect us every day. State of World 411 Live. Real people, real talk. Made to help people in our community in every way. For your Hello, this is the 411 Live, Real People, Real Talk. I'm Beverly Taylor. Thank you for joining us. We are doing things a little different. Um, We normally focus uh, solely on sex trafficking, human trafficking, specifically sex trafficking, uh, trying to bring awareness to this problem. And now, today, um, in our last episode, we have deviated from that. And we are uh, doing something... Well, let me tell you what the title is. The title is Memory, Repression, and Expression. And that doesn't tell you a whole lot, right? Well, we're talking about writing a book. Writing a book and the journey that you go on when you go through this process. And we have two great authors. This is part two, actually. Part one you, if you missed it, you should go back and uh, see that because we heard a lot about Nancy's book. And we're going to hear a little bit more about Ed's book. So our, my guest, the two authors, Nancy Yarbrough, you probably know her as founder of Fresh Start Learning, and Edward Hennings, and he is the owner of a barbershop and salon. He's a speaker. He owns a trucking company, and he's an author. And we have Jolanda Rogers, who is kind of that guide who helps these authors come to come to their their form, you know, write their masterpiece. Um, and they put out some outstanding work. We're going to hear a little bit more about that. But you guys, thank you for coming and thank you for staying around for part two. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Absolutely. Okay. No problem. Thanks for having me. Oh, sure thing. Jolanda, first of all, why, what, what, trying to get the question out, what spawned this? Why do you gravitate to people and you say, you have a story to tell? Let me help you. Why did you decide to take on this? Yeah, well, it's twofold. One, I believe in what Maya Angelou said, that there is no greater burden than an untold story. Mm. And so I believe that each person has a story to tell. Um, Talk, tell your story, accept your truth, learn your identity, know your strength. So writing and talking and sharing your story, it really is a part of our brand identity. So that's one fold. The other part of it is that I believe that people heal by the words that they read. And Mm -hmm. so I think as individuals that have um, come through significant life experiences, begin begin to pour out their heart into words on paper, that it allows for people to heal, to process trauma. It reduces the feeling of aloneness. It creates community. And the powerful thing about a book is that it can go places that we can't. So while we're sitting here right now enjoying um, and sharing this time together, Nancy's book, Ed's book, books I've written, they're out across the world healing and impacting lives. That's awesome. That is so awesome. We titled this Memory, Repression, and Expression. In in, uh, the part one, we talked to Nancy about her book and her journey in writing the book. And that was more of the memory repression because she went deep. 
She went deep and found things that had kind of been buried, and they came up to the surface, and she included those books. I have to ask you, Nancy, were there some things that you said, mm, no, I don't want to put that in the book? I That's too deep? <laughs> no. You know, you know what? I, can, I can't actually say that really happened, happened, uh-huh. only because... We pray, then we say. Uh-huh. So we always entered in with prayer. Uh-huh. So we rendered ourselves to whatever it is that God wanted to get out there. I don't think that there's any part of my life that I'm uh, that ashamed of or afraid to tell that it's <laughs> going to help someone else. There's things that you don't want to say in lieu of hurting someone else that didn't know. That was more so that my thing. And, and you know, Jelanda handled that so delic- delicately because she said, well, names aren't important. You know, ah. but the journey is important. So she didn't put a mm-hmm. lot of names behind some of the events, mm-hmm. you know, but she made sure that people understood uh, from those parts of my life, how it intersected and went over into the next parts and where those um, nemesis were yeah. and where those heroes were. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay, Ed. We yes, talked kind of on the surface in part one about your journey. Um and yours is not so much the memory repression as it is the expression. Um, you know, you were talking about the fact that you speak a lot to different people, different audiences, and you have no problem with that. And you're always, you know, give, putting your, your life story out there. But to put it all down concisely in a book form was something foreign to you that you were able to do. Um, first of all, was that just a difficult journey or did Jolanda make it so easy that it wasn't? Um, when we first started, um, I went in, like I said, just taking a chance, you know, this is life. Let's, let's take a chance, you know, see where this thing can go. And at the beginning, I went in kind of, um, 50, 50, you know, maybe, maybe not, (laughs) but at the end of the process, it was, it was so much excitement and energy running through me. I couldn't wait for the, you know, the completion. I was, I was excited. I was all on board by the, by the end of that, but maybe by the second meeting that I had with um, Jolanda, I was, I was like, Hey, this can, this can be big. Um, she's good. Yeah. You know, really good. You know, and I, I was, I was excited from that point on. Okay. And Jolanda, going back to what we talked about in part one, you said that you take you take them through um, a process of capturing, what, five to seven years segments. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so you, you have them think about those, kind of map those out. Tell me a little yeah, bit more. Yeah, absolutely. So we kind of look, because if you tell someone, tell me about your life, right? Mm-hmm. We're going to think of the things that stand out to us the most. And But if you begin to continue to dig deeper and ask questions, the person will start to reveal uh, memories, events, situations that they had completely forgotten about. And so one way to really help structure that is doing it in a five to seven year increments. One, you're going to hit the primary ages, you'll hit elementary school, you'll hit specifically right um, in middle school, you'll hit high school, you know, and you'll hit just those um, pivotal points of development and transitions in life. And it'll start jogging for the person. Well, what, what happened here? And I think um, with Ed, one thing that was really unique is that throughout his life we could see when the change happened 
we could see when he went from um, the the young boy that enjoyed reading the newspaper to his grandfather to the adolescent that was influenced by the streets. And we could even see where he began to make those, you know, inner vows of safety and protection because of his environment. And later on, like you could just see how those things played out. Ed, could you did you know about those pivotal moments before this journey of writing the book? Um, I've had I've, um, being that I sat in prison for 20 years, um, I had a chance to go over every um, I mean, from the fathers that I can remember um, to the day I got released, I could really just go over everything from the oatmeal that mama cooked that wasn't warm enough. You know, like I remember when that oatmeal was cold, you know, cause I had that type of time on my hands, mm-hmm. but being able to articulate it was a whole nother ball game. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Being able to um, think it and feel it in your, in your heart and in your soul and inside of you. That's one thing, but being able to get it out, mm-hmm. being able to get it out there and being able to make it where somebody else can understand it because if, if I'm speaking Spanish, even if I'm telling the same story, somebody might only speak English and they can't understand it. Right. So I needed to speak the language. I needed somebody to translate this from what I'm feeling to how they can receive it. I'm curious about the pivotal moment or uh, event or events um, that led you from that kid reading to granddad to that kid out in the street. Um, it's, that's, that's really funny. Cause just this morning, um, a relative of mine, she sent out a picture of us in front of the Christmas tree. And I was like in sixth or seventh grade. And I looked at, uh, I mean, all I'm the oldest grandchild. So it was all the grandchildren mm-hmm. and I was the oldest. And I looked at, I, I looked as if I was maybe, uh, two feet tall, uh, 30 pounds soaking wet. And we were looking at this picture. And I was like, that was during the time when uh, a friend of mine got stabbed about his Kango hat. These hats were very popular during this time when I was growing up. Uh-huh. And the Kango hat was owned by one guy. He let a friend of mine wear who let a friend of his wear. Oh. So when it came down to he wanted his hat, he couldn't find his hat. And all this commotion broke loose. So he ended up stabbing the guy about his hat and the guy died. He was dubbed the Kango killer. Oh, wow. And, and I shared with them, I said, you see how small I was? That was about the third death close to me in my life that I had experienced. And I started formulating these thoughts in my mind at that age, being that small, processing this information was saying to myself, um, I'm not going to let anybody hurt me. Mm-hmm. You know, I got to start protecting myself. I got to make sure. So I carried that. And, I, and and that got fed throughout uh, the movies I watched, um, the the people I hung around, the music I listened to. And I kind of fed that over and over and over. And that got fed and that got stronger and it got stronger. So even on the, the flip side was that even when I wasn't in harm, I had fed that monster so much that I even thought I was in harm a lot of times. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So what happened? Because now I'm just intrigued by your story. 20 years. What happened? Um, once again, um, certain things take take hold without you even having any control over. Mm-hmm. Um, in my life, 
once I I walked out of school. I was in college in Phoenix, Arizona, and I came back to Milwaukee with the wrong things on my mind to um from feeling out of place. Like I don't belong here. You know, I grew up in the hood. Um, I don't belong in college. I don't belong in school. I belong. I've been fooling myself all 18 years. You know, I should have been doing what my friends in the neighborhood was doing. So at that point, I kind of got weak and I broke. And I came back here um, and I started hustling. Mm-hmm. I started trying to make that fast money. And with that being said, I became the go-to. Um, I became the go-to guy. Back when I was reading the newspaper to my granddad, I was the go-to guy for the sports statistics. Oh. What Marcus Johnson scored. What Junior Bridgman had, what Larry Bird, what Magic right. Johnson, what Michael Jordan. I was the go-to guy for that in my family. But that go-to changed. Um, Ed is the go-to guy for money. Ed is the go-to guy. If your barbecue grill don't have enough meat and beer around it, call Ed. You need a ride? Call Ed. Uh, you have a beef in the neighborhood? Call Ed. He'll, he'll straighten it out. So that go-to not only helped other people, but it helped me as well. I felt good being that go-to guy. And today, even to this day, I have to temper that. Mm-hmm. But um, that go-to led me to be um, in a situation where uh, an uncle of mine got into some problems in, in the neighborhood. And he came to me, as everybody always do. And so many times I've squashed beef. I've squashed arguments. Um, but you can do it a million times. And just a million and one caught up to me. Um, where I tried to um, defuse some uh, altercation between the uncle and some other guys. And I carried a gun at this time in the altercation. The guy went after my uncle and I pushed my uncle out of the way and I started shooting. Wow. I shot two times and not knowing that the guy was hit, everybody started running. Um, I thought guys were coming after me. I was still, I was armed and I was, you know, um, adrenaline was pumping. I was scared. I was mad. I was nervous. Everything was going through me at the time. And when it was all said and done, um, the guy, he died. Um, I got arrested that night. I was faced with first degree intentional homicide, which was a mandatory life sentence. Right. Um, so when I got to the county jail that night and they slid that paper under my door and it said that I had killed somebody and that uh, I was facing life in prison. Um, it was it was basically me giving up. Um, my mom came to see me and asked me what happened the next day. And I said, Mom, it's not even worth me talking about because it's over for me. I never see the streets again. I never see the free world again. And at that moment, my mom talked to me. She told me that um, it wasn't over. She said, it's not over. You know, my mom goes to church a lot. And she talked to me and she said, it's not over. You have to fight. You go in there and you be honest. You tell them what happened. You be honest and, you know, you fight. And from that day forward, I started looking for where I went wrong. Mm. I started looking for why I was in this situation in the first place. I started to just wonder, you know, how did I end up? I went to Samuel Moore, School of the Gifted and Talented. You know, I, I, I participated in gymnastics, talent shows, all these type of things. And I just wondered over and over and over, trying to figure it out. So I went to trial and I got found guilty of a lesser offense, a first degree reckless homicide. Okay. Which means I had the right to defend myself and others, but I had overdid So um, the judge gave me a maximum 40 year sentence. First time offender, I got the max. I got a 40 year sentence and I served 20 years of that. Wow. But that, 
that whole 20 years, I worked on me. I, I took full accountability for my actions. I tried to figure out where I went wrong at, at every single point that I could figure out. I tried to pinpoint each and every situation that I did not excel in. Mm. And I and I, I decided to, just as I fed that beast of negativity and that I was in harm's way and that I had to protect myself, I started to feed positive. I, I studied Michael Jordan. I studied Bill Gates. I studied Denzel. I studied anybody that overcame adversity. And I said that, hey, I got 40 years. I, have, I see parole in 10. I have no control when they're going to release me. But I had made it my rallying cry that I'm going to overcome this. I'm going to come back. I'm going to make a comeback. So that, that's been my thing for the last 23 years is I'm going to make a comeback. Man, you did have a story to tell. Wow. <laughs> yes. Exactly. All right. We're going to take a break and we're going to come back. We're going to talk a little bit more about these books and uh, good conversation. This is the 411 Live. Real people, real talk. Honey, if you look at that phone one more time over dinner, you won't finish your meal. Perfect. It was nasty anyway. What do you think of 41% of all Americans between 13 and 17 years old using Snapchat? Not worried? What if I told you Snapchat is the perfect platform for sex trafficking? He wants my body over Snapchat. What should I do? It's not like the picture is forever. They self-destruct. If you want to do it, I don't see why not. Does it make me look bad, though? He's offering you $100 for a picture. Easy money, girl. Snapchat made the 2016 Dirty Dozen list because of Snapcash and how it encourages sexual exploitation. Your children could be exploited on Snapchat and sex traffickers are monitoring. Are you? For more information, visit the411live.org. Social distancing tip. Putting distance between yourself and others is critical to slowing the spread of coronavirus. So here are ways to stay in contact without the physical contact part. Call, send a text, set up a video conference, post on social media, dedicate a song on the radio. If you have symptoms of fever, dry cough, and shortness of breath, call your health care provider before going to their office. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part, because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Welcome back to the 411 Live, Real People, Real Talk. We were talking with Ed Hennings when we... Uh, took this break and he was talking about his book and the story of his life and pretty incredible, pretty incredible, your journey. And definitely I see a book in that. So I, I'm anxious to read two books, actually, Nancy's book and yours. Um, you got out of prison in 20 years. So you got an early parole. Is that it? Yes. Um, that's one thing about changing your life. Um, the day I started changing and studying these people, um, I seen success instantly. Um, success happened for me when I came home, but I also seen some successes right in prison. I took barber cosmetology. I took culinary arts. I took um, auto detailing. I took parenting classes. Everything that I've done, you know, I've seen some level of success, even in playing basketball and recreation. The change in me showed in everything I did. Wow. So it was it was definitely uh, able to see what the free world and my loved ones couldn't see. And I really was longing to show them like, look, my life is really changing. But, you know, when you in jail, everybody's everybody say that when they in jail. So <laughs> I had to wait my time. <laughs> wow. Um, so, Jolanda, you said everybody has a 
Everybody has a story. That's definitely true. Do you think everybody has a book in them? I believe everybody has a story that can be translated to a book. Yeah. So, um, yes, I believe there is a book inside of all of us. Um, And when I say that, again, I say it from the perspective of there is no greater burden than an untold story. And each of us has a sphere of influence. We are each assigned to uh, be an encouragement, to be a light for a, a group of people, just as if those there are goals that have been assigned to our lives, right? And I think the way in which we illuminate the light that we've been called to be uh, manifests itself in different ways, and a book is one of them. So some people tell their um, their stories through public speaking, through motivational speaking, through coaching. Um, some people tell their stories through nonprofit organizations that have come from things they've experienced, and so they are making those types of changes. Some people tell their stories through making a um, impact in corporate America. But the thing about having a book, which I mentioned in segment one, is that it allows people to have a tangible piece of who you are, those you've been called to impact, and to take it away with them. And when they cannot reach you, they can still reach your story. And so where can someone get your books? Well, um, thanks to Talk Publishing, I am on Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble, but the best place to get it would be nancy-theexodus.com.org and .net. Okay. How about you, Ed? And, um, and me as well. I'm on Amazon and I'm on uh, Barnes & Noble and theanswersbyed.com. The Answers by Ed. Okay. Okay. Theanswersbyed.com. Very cool. Very cool. So, um, you are, and we're recording this in the midst of the coronavirus, and that is why we are doing this video communication, remote video communication, instead of you guys being in the studio with me. Um, and with this uh, coronavirus, you were saying that this is putting you behind on releasing some of your other authors, Jolanda. It is. It is. So we are currently facilitating what's called, it's our inaugural author lab. Um, So I've done my research. And as far as I know, this has never been done before. And we are preparing to release 14 women of color that wrote their book in 90 days. Wow. So the ladies are done with their manuscripts. They have them submitted. uh, But we're on a lockdown, um, which means that printing companies, are on a lockdown unless they're printing essential material like medical books and different things like that. So we're delayed, but absolutely not denied and so incredibly excited. These women, um, we have a woman from California, Chicago, Florida, ladies right here in our city. And each of them have shared their story. They've shared their, their concepts, their heart for what we call their perfect reader. And that perfect reader is the person that is waiting on the story that's inside of you. So Ed has perfect readers that showed up in that barbershop that day on his book release. Those were his perfect readers, that that audience that needs what's inside of him to be an encouragement for them. Same thing with Nancy. Every time she mounts a stage, she's standing in front of a room full of her perfect readers. Those You have those that want to just know and kind of bathe in the grace 
that she exudes having overcome what she's experienced. And then you have those that have been where she is or where she's been, or they are there now, you know? So your perfect reader can kind of branch out into different pots. And uh, these 14 ladies, I'm so excited to prepare them for release coming at the end of the summer. And so we'll have Ed and Nancy celebrating with us and doing some things with that as well. And then we also have four individual authors that are in queue. So yeah. Wow. Wow. It's a great time to do some reading. And you said, you said nine, yeah, it is. And you said 90 days. How long did it take you, Nancy, to write this book? Did you do it in 90 days too? Yeah, it was less than 90 days. It was like from, it was in in my heart for over 10 years and running into Delanda, she pumped it out in 40, um, like 60 days, I think the turnaround time was, you know, so it it was pen the paper to publish within 60 days in hand and already have uh, reached uh, people in prison, reach people that are in recidivism coming out of that, ladies and young girls that are ages 12 to 17 that have been exploited. We use it as a curriculum-based program with our journal. So we've actually had an opportunity to repurchase three times already. So it's like three times a charm. So I'm really wow. grateful for Jolanda and, Pub- and Talk Publishing because it is making a difference in the lives of those that get it in their hand. They I got a text message last night from a lady. Did you see that? That she wrote a whole paragraph about how this actually had touched her life and how similar our our lives had were, you know, even uh-huh. though she's a lady from the suburbs and she always says, well, I didn't have it that bad. But that's why we always say, don't say them, it's us. We've all gone through something that we're not proud of. But if we're willing to share it with somebody else, it'll help somebody else to heal. So I'm grateful. Wow. Wow. How about you, Ed? How long did it take you to write your book? Um, it took me about the same amount of time, um, 60 to 90 days. Um, me and Jolanda sat out. And like I said, in the beginning, it was just, you know, I'm an energetic person. I'm a guy that um, when I play basketball, I don't do the rah-rah stuff. But once the game starts, I get kind of energetic and, and the passion comes out. And then in 60 to 90 days, Jolanda was able to take that same energy and put it in the book with me. And I, I was I, I've been very impressed in in the, in the very short time that it took to do it. Amen. Wow. And I'll um, speak to Ed's book, actually received the endorsement from the Department of Corrections for the state of Wisconsin. Oh, wow. So his book is in the libraries across all of the, the prisons here. Yeah, 36 institutions. Wow. Wow. And, and, you know, that's phenomenal. You were put in prison for a crime and you are affecting the inmates now on the outside to help them. And the institution that, you know, kept you behind bars is now endorsing you. Mm-hmm. And, so, and the funny thing about it is I've, I've been I've been to the House of Correction. I've been to uh, MSDF, Milwaukee Secure Detention Facility. Mm-hmm. I've been to Dodge Correctional Institution three times. And the majority of my time I was in prison, I was in Oshkosh Correctional Institution for about 12, 13 years of my 20 years of incarceration. And I went there just recently with the Milwaukee Bucks organization and did a, a represent justice uh, program where I was the speaker and moderator for the uh, the Bucks and mm-hmm. the guy, the uh, justice involved people in prison. So right. at that point, when I was getting ready to leave, the people from Oshkosh asked me, would I come back and speak at the next graduation? Wow. 
So that was, you know, that was that was, you know, feeling I would have did it for free and they offered to pay me to come back. There you go. it's, it's, It's been great. That's incredible. That is incredible. And Nancy, I, I, I know that your book is impacting people here and well, all over the place because you have, Mm -hmm. you have a definite story to tell. And if anybody sees you at a presentation, they want to know more about you. So it's a given that they're going to want that book. Yeah, this definitely happened. That's for sure. We, I walked into a place where they bought all the books I had. They wanted more. Uh, they, and again, just like Ed, I'm grateful that where we went, where we've been, now people are looking to find out how we got out. And and thankful mm-hmm. for uh, Jolanda for allowing that opportunity for it to be published and put in somebody's hands so they can see a manuscript on not just my journey, but the survivors that actually wrote uh, at the end end of each chapter in the Mm. book it's other survivors too but then it's the journal that helps you write your own that's the the kicker right there you don't only get the chance to see what happened in my life and the lives of those that were vulnerable and and put it there but also yours Mm. so it's it's been amazing people have come from all over the place asking how we can utilize this in their centers uh at their uh their uh alcohol and drug treatment centers at places where girls have been exploited in prisons, in other women's groups in support groups. It's just been amazing. It's just been amazing. And I thank God for that encounter that I had with Janana that day when she told me you ready to write your book. And I ran from her like Jonah, but uh, she caught up to me. She up to me. And I was obedient. I'm so glad she caught up to you too. I am so glad, you know, Ed, the other thing that pops in my head is you know, Milwaukee has a high incarceration rate mm-hmm. among black African-Americans. And um, I think it's it's phenomenal that you're willing to share your story because I think it can have a tremendous impact on a lot of young, young African-American men. And, yes. uh, mm-hmm. and it's, it's what they need to hear. Yes, they say that your sheep will hear your voice, right? Mm-hmm. So when we all write books, um, it's going to be a certain demographic and a certain group of people that's going to hear you. As long as you be authentic and transparent with it, some people are going to be turned off by some of our stories. But as you said, the um, young African-American male in my community, um, that's who I specifically uh, carry this torch for because I am that person. So when I sit down in meetings with people and I sat down with Yolanda and we talked, and it was all about making sure, number one, that this group of people right here can feel it and they can get some inspiration mm-hmm. to say, hey, if Ed can do 20 years, you know, uh, I don't know who my dad is. I didn't get a new dad coming out of prison. I didn't get a new mom. I got the same family and relatives I had before. You know, and you're not by yourself. You're not alone. You're not alone in this. You, know, you just got to look around you. You're going to be able to see there's other examples of people that come where you come from. And overcame yeah. it. You just right. got to follow in their footsteps. Right. For uh Jolanda, are you finding the you know your your authors and the stories that they tell and the lessons that they learned, all of them are it's pr- pretty profound. The you know what they're leaving behind, what they're giving to other people <laughs> by sharing their stories. <laughs> I, and I'm mm-hmm. sure these two are not the only two that have that kind of messaging within their story, right? I, I admire them so much 
and I admire the other authors that I work with, um, my heart goes to anyone who is brave enough to say, I'll speak, mm -hmm. I'll say it, I'll write it. Because there are thousands that would love to and they won't have the opportunity. But simply by holding Nancy's book in their hand, holding Ed's book, it gives voice to their pain. And Nancy and I talked a lot about this, how she is the one that's willing to say what hasn't been said, you know? Um, she removes the silence. She's, she's the one that's willing to speak. And so in that, she gives, vo gives a voice to so many others. And I have other authors that are coming out of this new group. And one of them has a, a story similar to Ed. A few of them have experiences similar to Nancy, but what is so amazing is that each person's journey is so uniquely different. It's so uniquely different, um, which means it's going to reach that uniquely different population that's waiting on their story. And a lot of pushback I get sometimes when I talk to people and I do a workshop on this, they say, well, everybody's writing a book now. Mm -hmm. So what? Unless you've written your book, it hasn't been written. That's it. Yeah. And it doesn't matter what books have been read until the world has read your book. They haven't read it. They're still waiting. So that's always just my ploy and my conversation and talking with people and saying, don't keep them waiting. Don't think about something that you need or think about, we'll do this since we're all, you know, practicing social distancing, the anticipation we have for when the world opens back up, right? That mm -hmm. waiting, that longing, we can't wait. We're looking forward to it, right? Imagine that your perfect readers are just like us, waiting, looking forward till we get that announcement, business as usual, right? And I, I feel like the excitement that we're going to feel is what a reader feels when they get the story that connects to their journey. That's it. Excellent. So since you talked about that, let's uh, be sure and say, um, if someone is listening or watching and say, hmm, I've got a book in me, how can they get in touch with you for that help in their journey? Absolutely. They can visit us online at talkconsulting.net. Um, actually, when they go to our website, they can also look at some of our other authors and look at the books that we've published and submit an inquiry and set up a free consultation with us. Very good. And I want to mention Nancy Yarbrough. I talked about you being the founder of Fresh Start Learning. And um, and this is a nonprofit. You help, uh, what, sex trafficking survivors. If somebody wants more information about that, where should they go? They can go to www.freshstartlearninginc.org. They can call us at 414-800-6269. And we do um, work with women that have life traumatic disruptions and interruptions. That could mean exploitation, mm -hmm. domestic violence, uh, suicidal thoughts, or any of those things. We do have uh, coaching and women's empowerment groups. So that they can go to www.freshstartlearninginc.org or call 414-800-6269. They can find us on all social media platforms, uh, Facebook, Instagram, um, and LinkedIn. Very so good. we would love to hear from you. Thanks for that expansion. And um, Ed, I know you have a barbershop and salon. What's it called? We never said. <laughs> it's called the hair code. The hair code. It's, it's called the hair code. It's symbolic of the 
used to be the street code. Yeah. Once I took cosmetology, it turned into the haircut. <laughs> That's very good. <laughs> and you have a trucking company as, right, as well, right? Yes. Yes. Vision Universal Trucking. Um, we specialize in furniture delivery. So we, we right now have accounts with Ikea and Mattress Firm. Very good. And if somebody, some church group or some some group, you know, say, you know, I would like him to come to speak to my my boys or our our youth or our young men, how can they how can they get in touch with you for that? Okay, they can book me on edhennings.com. Um, you'll find my phone number as well as information that you can fill out. And for booking, um, I have a pretty strong social media presence here in the city. So you also can go see some of my uh, previous speeches and motivationals that I kind of drop every day on social media, on Instagram and Facebook on Ed Hennings on Facebook and Ed Hennings one on Instagram. All right. Thank you guys for joining me for part two. It was a great conversation. I hope that we will um, inspire potential new authors out there. Um, You know, let people know you have a story to tell and you can get it in a book. So thank you again. Thank you. You you guys are awesome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Sure thing. And thank you for watching or listening to another episode of the 411 Live. Real people, real talk. I am Beverly Taylor. Thank you. Um, We will be uh, getting back to talking about sex trafficking and the issues surrounding that. But we will also be talking about other issues as well. So continue to send us your suggestions, which some of you already have, of topics that you would like us to tackle. Because we may select that. And, um, you know, we want to hear from you. And you can be a part of what we do. And that's a great thing, too. It's a partnership. So, again, uh, check out our past podcasts on different platforms that have podcasts, you know, um, please subscribe to our YouTube, uh, the 411 Live. We really would appreciate that. Until next time, this is Beverly Taylor, the 411 Live, real people, real talk.